dreaded fall surge is here. COVID-19 cases are up 30% and 10 states have seen their highest recorded numbers of cases in one day. Dr. If I can call him that, Scott Atlas, President Trump's favorite quote-unquote COVID-19 advisor, tweeted that masks don't work, despite the overwhelming scientific consensus to the contrary. Twitter flagged and removed his tweet. And Congress still hasn't been able to come together on a deal to relieve struggling Americans nearly three months after the last COVID-19 relief package expired. This is America Dissected. I'm your host, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, and we are T-minus 14 days from Election Day. COVID-19 cases have surged across the country, hitting all-time highs in a number of states. Quote-unquote, pandemic fatigue is the new term on vogue that's emerged to explain our general anger, frustration, boredom, annoyance, and sense of collective FOMO that's characterized how we all feel about this pandemic by now. But here's the thing. I don't like blaming the victim. And that term does just that. All of our lives have been touched by this pandemic. For too many of us, and disproportionately for black and brown Americans, this pandemic has taken lives, loved ones, and livelihoods. I mean, of course we're fatigued. This sucks. And we've known for a long time that the pandemic would take a turn for the worse this fall. It's not simply because of pandemic fatigue, but fundamental aspects of human behavior in the fall and winter. Look, I live in Michigan, and for the past two weeks, I've watched the leaves change colors, felt the air chill, and watched the temperature on my little iPhone widget fall. All of us are about to be spending a lot more time indoors, where the risk of COVID-19 transmission is far worse. Add that to the fact that schools and colleges have been in session for some time now. And despite some bright spots, we all know how that's gone. Children who might be silent carriers who don't know they're sick may actually have even higher levels of the virus than adults who are visibly ill. Notre Dame is suspending in-person classes due to a sudden surge in COVID-19 cases. It's fast becoming a college crisis. Over 51,000 cases of COVID-19 on campuses nationwide. Eight hours a day in a classroom with 30 students or thousands of kids on a campus. When you're talking about a viral illness, it's a recipe for spread. But make no mistake, this one has the potential to be far worse than even the first surge back in the spring. It's just a matter of physics. You can imagine the coronavirus like some food coloring in a cup of water. At first, it's relegated to the spot it first entered the water. But over time, it spreads throughout the water until the whole thing changes color. When COVID-19 first hit us in the spring, it was relegated to the cities in which it first landed. Places like Seattle, New York, LA, and Detroit. But since then, it's had ample time to spread into every nook and cranny of the country. That's why hotspots we're seeing now are in Wisconsin and the Dakotas, where it gets coldest fastest. But because it's everywhere, this surge won't be relegated to a few major spikes. Instead, we could see surges across the entire country, making far more people sick and killing more as well. Thankfully, we've learned a lot more about how to treat COVID-19 and to prevent it. That brings me back to pandemic fatigue. Social distancing sucks. Wearing masks does too. But here's the thing. COVID-19 sucks far, far, far worse. So we can't let up. Not now, when we could be facing a surge unlike we've ever seen. So please, wear your mask especially indoors. Don't go to crowded places. Stay as far apart as you can from people and wash your hands and sanitize regularly. What else do we need? American leadership that will say exactly what I just did without trying to walk it back or qualify it. We don't have that right now. In fact, here's Donald Trump at a town hall this week talking about masks. 
Then you have a report coming out two days ago that 85% of the people wearing masks... I looked at that it. report. It's not about mask wearing. It was neutral Savannah, on the question Savannah, of masks. we're on the same side. For the record, that's bullshit. He's misquoting a study that selected 154 people who had already tested positive for COVID-19 and asked how many of them said they had worn a mask. That's like finding 154 people who had stepped in dog poo and asking them how many of them had previously tried to avoid dog poo. Finding that 85% of them did... And then saying that 85% of people who try to avoid stepping in dog poo do, in fact, step in dog poo. What that study did show, by the way, is that people who tested positive for COVID-19 were twice as likely to report having eaten indoors at a restaurant than their counterparts who did not test positive. To get new leadership in a democracy, people have to vote for it. And I don't have to tell you, we're 14 days away. I just screamed into a muted microphone, by the way. But democracy isn't just about voting. It's about all the work it takes to organize and mobilize communities to come out and vote. Today, we'll be talking to two leaders who've been doing that work. We'll chat with Shaniqua McClendon, the Crooked Media's political director, and Steve Pearson of Swing Left. But first, a break. Our guest is Crooked's very own Shaniqua McClendon. She is uh, the political director at Crooked Media, and we're really excited to get her take on what we need to be doing in these last two weeks of uh, this election season. Shaniqua, thank you so much for joining the pod. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. So you've basically turned Crooked into an organizing base. Um, what was the motivation and how did you think about doing that? Um, that is very generous to say that I did that. <laughs> um, but You're going to you take all the credit. <laughs> you deserve it. Um, well, I will say um, to do that work is why I was hired. Uh, you know, when John, John and Tommy started the company, a big part of it was to cover politics in a better way. But also, you know, as you're talking about all of these awful things that are happening in the country, give people a way to actually fix them and not just hear about them. Uh, and you know, during my second interview with John Favreau, he said, you know, I never thought we would be hiring for this position, but we have this huge audience who's ready to take action and we need to be funneling this energy into something. Uh, And essentially, you know, that's what I came on for. And we gave the people what they asked for. Um, Our audience is really engaged. They know a lot of the information we're putting out there already, but they were, they needed the tools uh, to help other people have that information and be prepared. And uh, that is what we gave them in 2018. We saw amazing success. We filled about 23,000 volunteer shifts in the course of two and a half months. Uh, and now over this cycle, we've had even more time to fill more shifts. I don't know that number off the top of my head, but um, yeah, it's just been amazing to see. That's amazing. Well, I know, um, you know, you guys also operate through a number of really amazing partnerships in swing states and uh, the organization that I run, Southpaw, here in Michigan. Uh, we were really excited to work with you and are excited to continue working, uh, of course, over the next two weeks to get this thing done. But um, really, really appreciate the way that you've thought about turning what is a media organization into a political uh, advocacy and activism uh, organization. That being said, right, political organizing and activism look really different in 2020 than they uh, would have looked had we not had a global pandemic to contend with. Um, how have you thought about pivoting around COVID-19 and how do you feel like COVID has changed the fabric of activism and advocacy? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. When we first thought about this program, we we did imagine it to be a remote volunteer program, not in its entirety. We were thinking 
our audience is in pretty blue places. So how do we funnel them into activities in battleground states? Mm. Um, and our thought was, okay, we will pull them in with, uh, you know, low level calls to action. So, you know, maybe you write a letter first and then you do a text bank and then a phone call. And as we graduated, we were going to ask people to travel to the states that they had adopted, but then COVID hit and we, you know, realized that we might not be able to do that. And uh, so the biggest change for us was reworking the end of the program. Um, but now some people are doing in-person stuff. So we'll see what happens with that. But I think the biggest thing that we had to prepare for were um, so many more organizations being interested in working with us because mm. a lot of organizations were focused on in-person volunteer opportunities. Uh, but after COVID hit, a lot more people that we had spoken to and had kind of told us, hey, I don't know if this works for us. We're now interested in um, being a part of the program. So we had to figure a way to kind of spread uh, the volunteers and the resources around. And we've also integrated, uh, you know, just um, events to keep people's spirits up. Uh, we, at the, at the end of um, September, did a, a 30 day out kickoff with volunteers and we had thousands of volunteers come on and just hear more about adopt state and talk about what we had to get done in these last 30 days. And, you know, I just think the enthusiasm was there um, because everyone is starting to really see how important government is. When COVID initially hit, I think people were just kind of like, myself included, what is going on? This doesn't make any sense. And as the pandemic has continued, we've seen other countries actually rebound while we're still in this really bad place. And that is due in large part to our government. And so in addition to having a program that I think was, you know, really made for this moment, you also had a ton of people who could point the finger at what broke down and they wanted to get involved. During our first training, completely online, we had 16,000 people participate in our first digital organizing training, uh, which I hear is some kind of record. Wow. Um, but people were so enthusiastic, you know, couldn't even read the comments in the Zoom because they were going so quickly. Um, but we just had a lot of positive feedback and we realized people were ready uh, to take action. So um, I think, you know, we had to change our program some, but I think the biggest change I've seen is how people are thinking about getting involved and why they're getting involved. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I, you know, I could see it both ways. I could see COVID-19 being a net negative in terms mm -hmm. of um, people's motivation to be engaged because generally there's just been a overall cast of depression that everyone's sort of fallen yeah. into because, you know, people are dying and people are losing livelihoods and it's a pandemic. But also, you know, the point that you make about, about how do we get to a world where this is no longer the case and what is the politics that we need to get us there? Um, overall, uh, in, in your mind, do you feel like COVID has been a net positive or a net negative for people's motivations and willingness to, to get involved this, this uh, cycle? Yeah, specifically around motivations, I think it's been a net positive. Um, it's, you know, as weird as that sounds, it's, you know, not only has Donald Trump kind of been put on center stage for us to see, does he have the leadership uh, to meet this moment, but we've also seen it in Congress. We've seen House Democrats pass multiple uh, COVID relief bills, and we are still waiting for a bill that was passed in May uh, by the House to, you know, it's just sitting in the Senate. Mitch McConnell has prioritized a lot of other stuff, including um, the SCOTUS nomination on top before uh, getting resources to people. And I particularly think about, you know, this is slightly unrelated, but I think it just builds on uh, the feelings that people have had in response to COVID. When Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away, uh, I think 
it really just brought everything full circle for everyone. You know, we've been sitting at home for so many months watching our lawmakers, some of our lawmakers not do anything. And, you know, now um, the Affordable Care Act is headed heading to the Supreme Court. And so all of these things are happening. And then Ruth Bader Ginsburg passes away and the stakes just get so much higher. Mm. Uh, and the first thing we saw were people pouring money into our Get Mitch Fund. We since her passing, we've raised $27 million mm. and we raised a fair amount of that in two days. Uh, the two days, um, uh, well, the, the evening she passed and then into that next Saturday. And just in general, people, I think the pandemic is what kind of lit the fire, but people have had their eye focused on what our elected officials are doing. And the ones who are not doing enough, I think they're ready to get rid of them. Mm. Mm. Well, um, for as many people who are up and out and doing the work, there are a lot of other folks who just feel like it's not a place for them. This is not, you know, political activism isn't something that they've ever considered being a part of and they, they, they're busy and other things going on. Um, what is your message to people who are still on the sidelines in this race um, to get up, get out, you know, get on a, a dialer, get on a text bank uh, or even get on some doors um, to, uh, to go change our democracy? Yeah, you know, I think, so many people look at their vote as the only thing they need to do to participate, to be civically engaged. And as an individual, our vote is, you know, the most direct thing that we can do to have an impact on, on this election. But in general, our democracy is so much stronger when voting becomes a large scale collective action that, you know, our families are participating in our fam, sorry, our friends uh, and community members. And, I think that like, you know, I'm not just saying that to say that, like Donald Trump also knows that too. That's why him and the Republicans have been trying so hard to fight efforts to make voting easier and, and suing states for any little thing they're doing uh, to make sure that people have access to the ballot. So in order to push back on that, like we need everyone to step up. We need everyone to be making calls, sending text messages. If you feel comfortable dropping off literature, doing that. If you feel comfortable knocking on doors, doing that. Um, because if we're not doing that, Donald Trump is the only person talking to these voters and they are getting messages telling them that their vote does not matter. There's no you know, point in participating because it's already gonna go in one way. And we have to be on the other side of that. And the final thing I'll add is that, <clears throat> This election, every election is important, but this one is so central to so many people's immediate future. You know, climate change, I mentioned this the other day in a conversation. I am from the East Coast. Uh, I just moved to LA two and a half years ago. And, you know, it's not like I didn't know climate change was happening, but living in, on the West Coast just really puts it front and center for you. The air quality is very different, um, you know, it's, it's going to be going up to 90 degrees today and it is October 12th. So, you know, seeing all that front and center, but even thinking about coronavirus, will we, will we get a relief package for people who are being evicted, who need to, to buy food to feed their families? And all of those things are on the ballot. And so our one vote is very important, but we have to get engaged and we have to volunteer to make sure that not only our vote is getting counted, but we're bringing other people into the fold so that you know, collectively, we can all uh, elect better leaders. Well, we really deeply appreciate your uh, leadership in that respect. And, you know, to the point that you're making, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. You've got wildfires on the West Coast, and our lawmakers are more interested in installing a Supreme Court justice who will then turn out 
to kick off 30 million people off their health insurance in the middle yeah. of a pandemic rather than to offer relief and more insurance uh, and health care to people who need it. I mean, that is in the indictment that you need. And there are so many races. And, you know, obviously, um, the presidential race is the one that's taking up all the oxygen. But uh, what I love about the, the Get Mitch or Die Trying Fund is that you're really focused on um, those races that may not get as much sunlight in a presidential year. But, you know, to kick out Lindsey Graham, uh, to kick out Mitch McConnell, um, you know, to, to take out... Um, uh, to take out some of uh, the other uh, people who have just lacked the spines um, to to do anything about it, whether you know you're talking about uh, Maine or or elsewhere, you know these are really really important races. And Jamie Harrison just raised what fifty seven million dollars to um, uh, to knock off Lindsey Graham. Ooh, I mean, it would be yes. amazing to let you know <laughs> Lindsey Graham and and Mitch McConnell go sit on some veranda somewhere and and talk about their days in the Senate and why they don't have jobs anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But that's what we're fighting for. So, uh, Shaniko, thank you for all the work that you're doing and uh, turning Crooked Media and our audience into uh, a group of folks who, who really can get that work done. And um, really, really appreciate all the work that you've done in the background, in the foreground, uh, and then coming on the pod to, uh, to, to, to walk us through it. Well, thank you for having me. And one last thing I'll throw out there for even for your organization None of the work we would, none of the work we do would be possible without grassroots organizations on the ground. Everything we do is to just support them because we are not in these states. We don't know what's best. We just want to provide resources to fuel the work that you all have already said is the most important to do. So thank you for your work and all the groups who have helped us. Well, it's a team effort and uh, hopefully we can, uh, we can come back on November 4th and celebrate and then roll up our, roll up our sleeves to get the real work done. Yep. So Sounds good. Thank you again. All right. Thanks. That was Crooked Media's own Shaniqua McClendon, political director. You can, of course, learn more about her work at votesaveamerica.com. We'll talk to Steve Pearson of Swing Left after this break. All right. My second guest today is Steve Pearson. He's the training program manager and co-host of the How We Win podcast at Swing Left. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me, Abdul. I got to ask you, um, you've been an organizer for a long time. Uh, I assume you've never organized in a pandemic unless you've literally been an, a, an organizer for over 100 years. Um, <laughs> right. uh, how have uh, you pivoted around this pandemic with, with organizing uh, in the face of the most important election in, in modern U.S. history? Yeah. Um, well, uh, first of all, I wouldn't say I've organized for a long, long time because I do consider myself class of November 2016. Um, I had been volunteering on campaigns, but didn't really start uh, organizing in earnest till after Donald Trump uh, took office um, mm. and started up with Swing Left. But yes, we did a lot of amazing in-person events during uh, the midterms and the energy that you get in a campaign office when you're crammed in with other volunteers and everyone's, you know, you have a great surrogate or the candidates there talking. It's exciting and it keeps people coming back for more. It's, it breaks my heart that we're not able to do that now, um, especially when we have so many people who are inspired to jump in and volunteer now for the first time. I want them to catch that. So 
Um, you know, we try to get creative when we're doing virtual um, organizing uh, with our Zoom rooms and having breakout rooms and and themes um, and letting people go off mute when they're phone banking and tell stories, uh, you know, about the conversations that they just had and stuff like that to try to build that sense of community. Um, mm-hmm. because that's, that's such a powerful part of organizing that most people don't really expect or certainly don't seek out when they start doing this work, um, that sense of community. So, and, and it's what's sorely missing right now as we're all, um, you know, in our homes and, uh, hopefully staying safe from, from the virus. So, yeah, they say, uh, come for the candidate and stay for the others. Right. And that's, um, yeah. that's a part of things that people just aren't going to get, uh, when you don't have that, you know, Saturday morning, you got a cup of coffee in your hand, a clipboard, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, a, a group of people who are all fired up by the cause. Um, you know, in some respects, COVID has taken that away, but it's also given us something else. Um, do you feel like COVID's been a rallying cry uh, for volunteers in, in this this cycle that's going around? Certainly, I mean, you know, there there are swing left has always been uh, distributed the way that we organize. Anyway, we have people all over the country um, getting together, and uh, we've we're not a stranger to a Zoom room, first of all. <laughs> so, um, so that's that's been actually good. Where where you say. Um, one of the, I hardly say it as a positive, but one of the positive side effects is that it's easier to join into a meeting when you don't have to travel somewhere and do that. So, mm. so that that's you know we've had a lot of engagement because of that. But to your question, um, it's definitely been a rallying cry because this is something that affects everybody. Um, I mean, you talk about it on your great show every single week and the different ways that it expresses itself in our society. Um, I consider myself extremely fortunate. I have a, uh, a nice place to stay at home. My family is healthy. But earlier today, we had my daughter's senior key chapel on Zoom, this mm. rite of passage for my daughter who's a senior in high school right now. And um, it just made me so angry because it didn't have to be like this. The response to this was so inept uh, and so mishandled um, that, uh, you know, my my daughter is at home in the other room having this chapel remotely with with everybody. And, um, you know, this big moment in her life, the culmination of of all of her years of education and now getting ready to go to college. Um, again, I'm blessed because I don't have anyone in my family who is one of the over 210,000 people who have passed away from this disease, and, and I don't have to um, mourn with my family members of someone that I love that I've lost. Um, but mm-hmm. it affects us all, and people have had uh, enough. And you see it with um, Republicans who were Trump voters who uh, have had enough and who are voting Democrat and voting for Joe Biden this time around. You see it with um, Trump losing support of you know older people, of you know senior citizens, which he was so solid with, um, that are that are defecting and voting for Joe Biden because he is clearly shown just how inept he is, incapable of handling this, and uh, and people aren't willing to sacrifice themselves for him. So I, I think it has been a rallying cry. And, I'd, and healthcare is always one of our most important issues. It's always an issue that resonates with everyone because at, at a fundamental level, you know, it's a kitchen table issue. It's what we want. We want our families mm-hmm. to be healthy. And, uh, and, and they're not now. They're, they're under threat. So it, it's definitely time for a change. 
And what do you uh, feel like the most important thing that volunteers can be doing right now is? Well, if you're able to, uh, it's making phone calls uh, because we have, uh, I mean, phone banking has always been an important part of how we organize and, and how we campaign. But this time around, it's really the, the safest way we have to have these crucial one-on-one conversations with voters. And these conversations we know are effective. They're personal. They really work. It takes about five to seven touches, five to seven contacts with a low propensity voter to make sure that they have their plan to show up to the polls and vote. But right now, as you said, during the coronavirus, um, this is a whole new election for many people. People are getting uh, ballots in the mail where they never have before. Polling places have changed. There's now drop boxes. There's uh, a real importance for people to show up and vote early. And the best way we can get that information to people and give them you know, all the tools they need to make a plan and make sure that they're voting safely and early, hopefully, is having these one-on-one conversations. So if you're able to, even if it's uncomfortable and you're scary, and I know I, I always get a pit in my gut when I make those first couple of calls, I, I don't necessarily seek it out. But we know that Trump and the GOP is doing everything in their power not to concede any of their power. We need to be willing to step out of our comfort zone and do everything that we can to make sure that doesn't happen. Mm. And uh as you're, you're, you're on the phones and, and volunteers are uh, having these conversations that I believe are fundamental, uh, they are the substrate of our democracy, how do you encourage people to think about uh, this pandemic when they are reaching out to fellow Americans and having a conversation about who we are and, and who we want to be? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I always tell people to um, to make sure that you consider the moment that you're in when you're reaching out to people, because as we talked about earlier, it's affecting us all and in different ways. Um, so we're aware of the moment. Really, all of the scripts that I've seen uh, have some kind of wellness check at the beginning of the conversation, something like, how are you doing during this challenging time, something like that. And it's a great way to connect with somebody and to acknowledge what we're all going through together. And um, and then uh, the campaign always has resources for people and play, you know, you'll have at your fingertips a place for them to call or if they really need something or if someone's sick or whatever. So. Um, so it goes way beyond our, our typical transactional, you know, um, you know our, this candidate will do this, this, and this, so that's why you should vote for them. It's, it's really a much more intimate and uh, personal conversation that you have with each other. And, um, you know, a lot of folks haven't, uh, you know, thought about the political process in this way, um, haven't, you know, volunteered for a campaign. And for those who are um, thinking about it, uh, what is your message to them to, to get up off the sidelines and be a part of it? Uh, well, I, I said it a second ago. I mean, don't think about it. Just do it. Like the water's a little chilly at first and, and then it, you get used to it and it warms up. Uh, this kind of uh, civic participation, uh, this is what being a citizen is all about. And, um, and if you've never volunteered before, now is the time to do it. I mean, we are... Uh, the witness of history, but we don't want to just witness it. We want to write this final chapter. I know for sure that Donald Trump and the GOP is not going to write this final chapter. It is up to us. I mean, the bad news is it's up to us. The good news is we have power. We have people power. When we come together and step into this work, we're the ones writing history in this moment. And I'm not going to wake up on November 4th and wish that I had done more. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is powerful. We got a lot of work that we need to do. And we know that our lawmakers uh, from you know the, the president on down uh, to the Senate uh, have fundamentally failed the basic test uh, of leadership. I mean, right now we're having a conversation as they are racing uh, to confirm a Supreme Court justice uh, while they have fundamentally failed to provide basic uh, sustenance for the American people in the context of a pandemic. Meanwhile, right, if that person is seated, um, she has the potential to cast the deciding vote uh, that would strip healthcare away from an additional 30 million people uh, in the middle of a pandemic. And, you know, nothing short of our democracy uh, is on the line. Um, and for so many people, their basic access to healthcare, their lives are on the line. Uh, and that's the work that's in front of us. Um, Steve, we really, really appreciate your time and uh, your insights and your work at Swing Left. Um, where can folks go if they want to get involved? Well, you can go to swingleft.org. Uh, and if you want to jump in and phone bank, which of course you do, you, you, why wouldn't you? Uh, go to swingleft.org slash phone bank. And we have um, immediate impact phone banks for people. These are places uh, where the campaigns really need us. The races are close. And every contact you make is going to really make a difference. And then, um, of course, you can check out our podcast anywhere you find podcasts, uh, Swing Left, How We Win. Well, fantastic. Well, Steve, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate your insights and your work. Thank you for everything you're doing. I really appreciate it. Thank you. As usual, here's what I'm watching right now. First, I'm watching the numbers point straight upward, and I'm really worried about it. 10 states already broke their own single-day COVID-19 transmission records last week, and cases are up almost everywhere. Thankfully, mortality numbers aren't jumping like case numbers, at least not yet. But we have to remember that these are a lagging indicator. Death from COVID-19 can only happen after someone gets COVID-19. And mortality rates could get worse if hospitals, particularly rural hospitals, get overrun with COVID-19 patients as things get worse. I'm also watching quack doctor Scott Atlas, the president's favorite MD with absolutely no credentials to be talking about pandemic response, considering he's a radiologist whose job it is to image people's insides. He tweeted this weekend, and I quote, masks work? No. His tweet was flagged and removed from Twitter, as I wish he would be from the White House. Here's what baffles me about the administration's ongoing war on masks. You're a COVID-19 advisor to a president who is a complete failure when it comes to mobilizing a response to this pandemic. Why would you then try to pretend like masks don't work? They cost you and your administration nothing. They're not harmful, and they lend you a cynical way out of your culpability, like quote-unquote pandemic fatigue. WTF, Scott Atlas. He's not only clearly wrong, doesn't understand science, and has no credibility to stand on with this pandemic— but he's just a bad advisor. But this speaks to the fact that this administration does not care about saving lives during this pandemic. The president continues to sponsor super spreader events at every rally he goes to, all the while decrying the very thing that people can do to protect themselves. Which brings us to the issue of your vote. Friends, I need you to make a plan. There are less than 14 days left to vote, but you don't have to wait until then to get your vote in. There are plenty of options to vote early and safely. Visit votesaveamerica.com slash plan to make your plan, find your voting location, and vote as soon as you can, and tell all your family and friends to do the same. I'll leave it now to my favorite Midwest political expert about how we ought to be voting. Okay, Emily, who do we need to vote for? Biden. And, um, and when do we have to vote by? November 3rd. Okay. I'm voting for my future. So don't, so don't forget, 
So don't forget. That was Amelia Sayed, my three-year-old who knows more about coronavirus than the president, reminding you to vote for Biden because it's her future you're voting for. Again, you can learn more about how to vote or get involved during these last two weeks at votesaveamerica.com. America Dissected is a product of Crooked Media. Our producer is Austin Fisher. Charlotte Landis mixes and masters the show. Production support from Tara Terpstra, Lyra Smith, and Allison Falzetta. The theme song is by Takaya Suzawa and Alex Uguiera. Our executive producers are Sarah Geismer and me, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, your host. Thanks for listening. 